0: Welcome to Practical Forms of Self-Love with Jesh DeRox, a mini-series focusing on 10 essential perspectives and practices to embody self-love. Here's Josh. Welcome to day 10 of my 10-day series, uh, exploring practical forms of self-love. And thanks for joining me. It's, it's been a really fun journey these last 10 days. Everything in my life is for the purpose of improving quality of life for myself and for as many people as possible. That's always the driving mission. If I start a company, that's the driving mission of it. If I'm going to create some work of art, that's the driving mission of it. If I'm exploring a new belief system in some kind of way or a new perspective of seeing myself for the world, for me, it just doesn't matter unless it, in the end, is really about, or during the process, is about improving quality of life. It is really important and beautiful to learn how to be good caretakers of this gift that we've been given, of life, because we didn't earn it. It's so far beyond our ability to understand even how any of it works. I mean, it's really weird when you think about it, but everything that's alive here on Earth is basically a mix of dirt and sunlight and I know that it's not necessarily as simple as that, but it's almost as simple as that. I mean, you could explain it in those terms, and it's it's fairly accurate. You know, there's a mix of earth, pieces of earth, and then there's a mix of sun. And in some kind of combination of those two things, suddenly there's this, you know, mix of the two that seems to have an internal momentum that keeps carrying it forward. That's extraordinary. It's it's quite extraordinary, you know, um, when when you think about it that way. I learned uh, quite recently in my life, actually, the difference between soil and dirt, which I didn't know before. Uh, and dirt, of course, is just basically small particles of rock and soil is uh, small particles of rock that are also mixed in with organic material. So the very essence of life. Soil is the kind of dirt that you can stick plants in and something in plants, something in the seeds. Will recognize that there are the materials to grow stronger and to open up and explore into all of that. So, today, for the 10th installment of this, I wanted to dig into possibly the most crunchy and maybe challenging of all of the 10 subjects that we've done. The subject for today is freedom and security. So, in my talk yesterday, you know, talking about these conflicting desires, one of the commenters, commentators, Came on and talked about what about the conflicting desire of freedom and security, and that's a really big question. It's so big, in fact, that I decided to dedicate day ten to this entire question. So when we talk about freedom and security as practical forms of self-love, what we're really talking about is the importance of of boundaries. That's really what we're talking about. Boundaries is is a huge, huge thing that we could spend a lot of time on, but you know, in the effort to try to contain this. In some way, I just want to talk about two main things about boundaries. One is breaking them, and you know, one is is respecting them or, or or keeping them. And of course, breaking them represents freedom, and respecting boundaries, you know, represents security. So, these two things are definitely desires that we have. We have desires for both. They are conflicting a lot of the time, and I think it is very important and valuable to spend time considering these these two topics and what they might mean for us so that we can have more clarity about it, you know, which one to go, which way to go when it comes to our life. As to answer the question, well, which one is better? Should a person go towards freedom or security? I think that's like left and right. I can't tell you where to go left or right. It depends where you are. It depends what direction you're facing. It depends where you're trying to get but they are two very strong navigational choices. It's kind of like South and North. They're very, very different places and they will take you to very different places. And I think understanding each of them and what they feel like in the body is is really powerful. Let's just talk briefly first about about breaking boundaries. Breaking boundaries is definitely, I think, the theme of a lot of my work. It's been the theme of a lot of my own personal exploration and discovery. I I want to say it's Oscar Wilde, but somebody told me I, I was misquoting this, but Some amazing, you know, English poet, I believe, said, only those who risk going too far can possibly know how far one can go. That risk of pushing yourself to the edge and going beyond is very powerful it it is very important. It is definitely an important piece of what it is to be an artist and what I believe our role is as humans to just push everything forward a little bit. When it comes to breaking boundaries, breaking rules, I think there's often a very strong, rebellious, kind of angry, kind of, you know, flippant, careless, reckless kind of an association with that. And while that can be true sometimes, I heard something from my friend Rasuli that I really loved recently. He's a master painter, by the way. He's a master artist. He said something really incredible. He said, when it comes to breaking the rules, it's not breaking the rules like you disrespect the rule. He said, it's like breaking an Olympic record. You go to the edge of that record, and then you take that record beyond, and you create a new record, you create a new boundary beyond it. And I thought that was really interesting, because when we talk about breaking the boundaries of, like, let's say, a city, a city might have a a circumference boundary of this, and then somebody leaves the boundary of the city and goes into the unknown, into the wild, to explore and to find something new out there, they're not destroying this past back here. They're actually adding to it, because then they say, no, no, the boundary's out here. And now the circle increases and now the circle increases. And so I think looking at breaking boundaries in that kind of way is really interesting. And just to remind ourselves that we don't have to destroy everything that's come in the past to move beyond it. It's almost like that and, that and, that and. There are some things in our life for sure that are mutually exclusive and that you you can't carry with you. But I think it's important when we think about freedom to remember that freedom can include the place that we have been in, and it can, it can add more. It can be expansive. The other thing I want to talk about in terms of freedom and security is that discovery, which is really the thing that we crave that's deeply tied into our own sense of fulfillment, discovery uh, is always in the direction of the unknown. So a lot of people have this deep desire in themselves, myself included, you know, from a young age, to be able to contribute something, to say something that no one else has said to have their voice heard and for that to be regarded and loved and respected. One of my favorite quotes from Henry David Thoreau, which I've shared before, most men live lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave, the song's still in them. And that just pierced my heart the first time I heard it. It pierces my heart almost every time I, I, I hear it or say it, because I am aware of this song. It could be described in so many different ways, but I think a song is a beautiful way to describe it, because there is some kind of a melody, some kind of a form of expression that has a rhythm, and that has a really unique aspect to it that does exist inside of every human. In some ways, I think that a human body, mind, might just be an instrument for hearing that song and, and capturing that song, being able to be in touch with it and and sharing it. So discovery always exists in the direction of the unknown. A lot of times in my work as a photographer, I got to a place where I had won a bunch of awards and been kind of in the top tier of this whole journey. And so a lot of people ask me, how did I get a style? Because that's what I was known for first was this unusual style. And they would say, I want a style. How do I get a style? And the style, your voice, which you have to impact people that other people don't have, it's in the direction of the unknown. It's out there somewhere. It's in the direction of the unknown. And we often don't find those pieces because We don't want to leave the familiar to get to them. But it's a really important part to understand about freedom is that freedom will cost you. Freedom will cost you leaving. It will cost you the familiar. Everything that you don't have now that you want is in the direction of the unknown. And basically what that means, why I'm hounding that point in so much, is that to get the things that you don't have yet that you want, you're going to have to do something that most people don't or won't do or don't know how to do, and that is to build a relationship with the unknown on a biological level that allows you permission, and not even just permission, but allows you enthusiasm to to explore the unknown. And most people are very uncomfortable with the darkness. They're very uncomfortable with the unknown. They're very uncomfortable with mystery. All of those things, you know, are, are, are very scary to us on a biological level. And so if a person doesn't change their relationship with those particular aspects, they will just forever and always be separated from their discoveries and from the things that they could really contribute. And that's partly why this freedom and security are two of, I think, maybe the biggest conflicting desires that we have inside of us, because we want the freedom to go out and play and find and discover things. But then we also want the security of, of being safe and being held and, and having that when we need it, you know? So, challenging thing to, to navigate both of those for sure. The second aspect of respecting the boundaries, we have security. We have security. So, these are just a few things that I would say about the importance of boundaries when it comes to respecting them. When you have children, you will notice very quickly that they want things and they want a lot of things and they want a lot of things all the time. And a person naive as a parent might think, oh, well, loving the kids means giving the kids everything that they want. But what's really important to remember, obviously, about having kids is the kids are not yet qualified to make healthy decisions about (laughs) everything in life because they just haven't had the context and the experience yet. And so quite obviously, when a kid just says, well, I want this, I want this, I want this, some of the things they want are just not actually going to be healthy for them, are not going to be beneficial for them. I'm saying that to say that sometimes I think when we talk about self-love, we think that it's just giving ourselves everything that we want. And I think that is a terrible idea, because as I said before, we are these complex and sophisticated mixes of a whole wide range of different desires. And some of those desires, you know, come from ancient biological impulses, hundreds of thousands of years old, millions of years old. Others of them come from our environment. Others of them come from our parents. Others come from our advertising that we're inundated in constantly. Just because you have a desire doesn't mean that it's one that's going to be helpful to you. And I think a part of the big problem that we have in our disconnect from our own mind is that pretty much anytime we have desire, fire out the desire gun, out the desire hole, we're just like, all right, yep, yeah, it's a desire. Let's do it. Let's try to do it. Or people suppress those things. But either way, I think the the important thing to kind of sink our teeth into there is that not all desires are created equal, okay? Okay. Not all the desires that are coming out of us are ones that we actually do need to respect and, and have come to fruition. There was something really interesting I heard Anthony Robbins say recently that I, I really kind of loved. He does this practice of diving into cold water, I guess, every morning, and it's like freezing water, and that somehow like he feels it alivens his body and gets him you know, excited about being a human and waking up and all that stuff. I've never done that myself. doesn't sound too exciting to me, but he really loves it. And I do have friends that do that too. So there must be something in there. But he said he's done it every single day for like the last 30 days. And he said, there has never been a day uh, for the last 30 years that I wanted to dive into the cold water, but I don't negotiate with myself. And I thought that was such a fascinating statement. I don't negotiate with myself. I don't negotiate with myself. And I looked at my own life and some of the areas that I feel like I know the things I want to do. You know, I want to exercise. I want to get up at this time to start working on my book. I want to work on this project. I want to do this and this and this, et cetera, et cetera. And then there will be many times that I have said, well, maybe you can do it later. Or Maybe exercise can be tomorrow. And you already worked a lot this week. Why don't you do this other thing? Negotiating with yourself. And so I think that the sentence that he said was, a pretty beautiful illustration of what it looks like to have self-love, practical self-love in the form of respecting a boundary. And when, when you have decided, hey, I'm doing this thing or I'm not doing this thing, it's just like that child that the mind says, yeah, but I want to do this thing. And you say, no, we're not doing that because this is going to be better for you if we don't. Or they said, I don't want to do this thing. Yes, we are doing this because this is going to be better for you. To be able to raise up and become a parent to ourself, I think is a really beautiful form of of self-love. Taking the time to understand the different urges and the desires that you have as a human. And again, I think very, very few people will do this. You can even have somebody like me say, hey, this would really help you if you do this. Still very, very few people will actually take the time to do this. It would be so valuable though to really make a list of your major desires, make a list of your major urges, and start writing about them in your journal. Start talking about them to your friends so you can understand them, so you can see them, so you can become aware of them, so you can build relationship with them. And let me tell you, you will be forever separated from your ability to change and influence those desires, to increase them or to decrease them if you do not build a relationship with them. You could even say, the first step is awareness of them. The second step is relationship with them. And relationship with them is the ability to, to change them. And the third one, loving loving them, would be the ability to change them in a way that's more beneficial and, and healthy for you, in a way that it increases your quality of life. I think going back to this whole idea of how this ability that we have to make things up either makes us capable of building Taj Mahals or building awful, horrible things like World War II. It is important to remember that we are the creators of both love and hate. We are the creators of beautiful things and awful and ugly things, and all of it arises from us. Plants basically only ever make decisions that are for their own benefit. At least that's all they're ever trying for they will always grow towards the light. They will always send their roots in the best direction of the nutrients and water that they need. And when they find nutrients, they'll send more roots in that direction. When they find light, they'll make more leaves in that direction. And for some strange reason, humans don't always do that. But that strange reason that they don't is because we have this ability to look at things that aren't there, to see nutrients that aren't there, to go towards the light that isn't there, and you could say, well, that's just a disadvantage, but but it's not because that same thing that makes us go into that illusion, that imaginary world, also ends up giving us this ability to find things that weren't there before, to find symphonies and, and Taj Mahals and all of it. It's it's quite incredible, but but it is a gift and it is a curse depending on how it's used. And I think that would probably be the biggest of all of the forms of self-love is to really deeply understand that, understand that process. and to get better at more often making that kind of a decision. (laughs) A couple more things, and then we're going to close it off here. So taking the time to understand your urges and your desires and why they happen is such a beautiful form of self-love, because some of those urges need to be changed. Some of those desires need to be silenced. Some of them need to be encouraged. And really picking and choosing among those would be like being a master gardener, going through, pulling the weeds, pulling the ones that were going to choke out the other plants, and watering and tending to and pruning the ones that had the best chance of of growing to be beautiful to producing amazing fruit so being a gardener of the self in this way there's something really interesting called the gorge syndrome that i just want to talk about briefly because it's a really beautiful illustration a very simple illustration of what i'm talking about here with you know how some of the desires are helpful to us and some aren't so we have this biological thing called the gorge syndrome It was basically, we believe it it evolved in the time that we were these roaming tribes because we didn't have regular sources of food. It's not like you could go to a grocery store and get food. You didn't know where your next meal was coming or even if you would have the next meal. And because we lived like that for so long, we developed this thing called the gorge syndrome that a lot of animals have. And that is when they see that there's a whole bunch of food, they will just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat until they just fall dead asleep because their body is so full with this food. But then that food sits in them and they can process it and whatever, and they can go on to live. In today's day and age, we don't have that problem anymore you know, of not having enough, uh, at least in this particular country and situation, you know, in the, in the more developed countries. There's unfortunately still a lot of people who, who need more nutrients, but that number's lessening all of the time. And it's at the all time low. More people in the world now have regular access to food and drinking water than, than we ever have. And so that is becoming less and less of a problem. Uh, But the Gorge syndrome has not caught up to this. And so companies, of course, have taken advantage of this syndrome and have perfectly crafted foods to have salt and sugar, these things that were very rare in the past. And now we have lots of them and we're putting them all together. And if you've ever had a bag of chips and opened it and couldn't stop until the chips were all gone, then you are experiencing what they call the Gorge syndrome. And that is an ancient evolutionary thing that was meant to protect us that now it just doesn't. It just doesn't because it is actually hurting us in a lot of ways. We have a higher rate of obesity than we have ever had. That translates not just to the food world. We have things like these apps and stuff. Anybody's ever been on those dating apps? It is a lot like the Gorge syndrome because there's this huge supply of ingredients, people ingredients, and you just keep swiping yes, swiping no, swipe, swipe, all of this. And that can become addictive behavior in the same way that the chips can. And if you're not on the dating apps and you don't eat bags of chips, well, maybe you're on social media all the time and waiting for these little hits, getting hearts, (laughs) addicted to virtual hearts. And good God, if that isn't an an amazing illustration of this ability that humans have to live inside of illusion, I, I don't know what is, that we can be addicted to a colored heart. An imaginary colored heart is is pretty incredible. It says a lot of things about the mind. All right, so that's the Gorge Syndrome. That's just one, you know, of many of the desires and urges that really needs to be checked. And so that whole point is basically to say, just because you're feeling it, just because some piece of you wants it, doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for you. And to be a good steward of your own mind, to be a good steward of your own desires, is super important in practical self-love. One last thing I want to share and that is basically there's this idea especially in North America that the customer is always right. And this is another example of us having these desires and just going with it. If the customer is always right, which is has been, you know, the rule for a long time, let the customer decide what we make, let the customer decide how much of it we make, let the customer decide, let, you know, capitalism rule. The problem with that is even though they might have been right about the kinds of things that they wanted, it's done a massive damage to the world in terms of an ecological cost, in terms of a biological cost. And so while they might have been right, the customer might have been right that they wanted more plastic, the world didn't want more plastic. The earth didn't need more plastic. That's the opposite of what it needed. And so it's just another illustration that sometimes giving in to our desires might appease one piece of us, but could ultimately lead you know, to our destruction ultimately lead to a lot of suffering for us that nobody wants. And so there was that piece earlier where in day two, I think, where we talked about how we're not just dealing with the present moment. We're also dealing with a a midterm moment and we're dealing with a far in the future moment. And, you know, all of these are issues that we need to take care of and be aware of. What feels right to us right now in this moment to do might end up causing suffering to us a little bit in the future or a lot of it in the future. When it comes to these these conflicting desires of freedom and security, which one is true, which one is right, which one is important? They both are. That's the answer. They, they both are. It has more to do with which of them is going to, to the best of our knowledge, to the best of under our understanding, just lead to an improved quality of life. And just like what I was saying with the plants, the plants are always making their decisions based on, is this going to make me grow? Is this going to make me grow? Is this going to make me grow? Is this going to, this going to lead to more nutrients is this going to lead to more light paying attention to that and figuring that out i think is one of the most powerful important forms of practical self-love that a person could possibly do so thanks so much for joining me for these last uh 10 days this has been a 10 day exploration of practical forms of self-love it's been fun and i appreciate your guys' time and care and attention thank you guys have a beautiful day Practical Forms of Self-Love with Jesh D. Rocks is produced by Jesh D. Rocks and edited by Elizabeth Wyndham. Our theme music is by Kai Kai. It's called Celeste from the album Fantasize. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this miniseries, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and general community. You can find Jesh at Jesh D Rocks on Instagram and Facebook.